Well, good morning. Let's try that again. You didn't hear the question. Good morning. It's good to see you today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, at an off-site campus or on the internet. So, so much fun uh, to see, uh, actually get to meet people who are online. I know last week uh, I met a few people that uh, are online from Illinois, and they came down for spring break and came to, to visit and see and met people at various times. So uh, we're glad you've chosen to be a part uh, today. And... Um, I have a friend with me today, uh, T.J. McCormick. T.J., would you stand? You can see him here. In the, uh, T.J. planted a church in Fort Lauderdale, uh, which I preached at about two weeks ago. And what an incredible church, art church. So welcome, if, if you would, T.J. We're just glad you're here. He was on his way to go play golf at Pinehurst and uh, came by uh, to be with us today. Speaking of ARC, um, how many of you uh, served on the dream team at, at the art conference last year? Anybody? Lots of you? Okay, great, great, awesome. All right now, I want everybody to get a phone. Get your phone out. Get your phone real quick. Get your phone. Get your phone. You're going to text ARC to 320-320, and it's going to be the best thing you do this year, okay? Here's the deal. We need uh, folks who will be a part of the dream team volunteer those of you who volunteered last time, was it a great experience or what? Incredible. And uh, let's try that again. Was it a great experience or what? Okay. Yeah, it was. It was so much fun because our two worlds come together, Seacoast World and Arc World. And um, it was fun watching the Seacoast volunteers just serving and watching. And a lot of you said, I had no idea. And uh, there'll be uh, uh, two or 3,000 pastors here. And uh, it's just one day and one night. And if you'd like to do that, you can text ARC, A-R-C, to 320-320. You don't have to serve for the whole time. Maybe just one session or part of a session. And uh, that will be helpful uh, to all of us. So audience participation. How many of you watched the Super Bowl halftime show just a few weeks ago? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. All right, all right. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. How many of you would say, I absolutely loved it? I, I loved it, yeah. It was, you know, 50 Cent, who looked like he was about a buck and a quarter at, the, at this point. <laughs> we all go a little XL as we get older, right? Yeah. Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Dr. Dre, Mary J. Blige, and that's your role, and you just thought it was the greatest thing ever. Come on, come on, come on, all right, all right, all right, good. Right, how many of you, as it got started, you thought, you know, it's time to go get something to eat? <laughs> just a little bit of that goes a long way, okay? And, and you were thinking, why, did, why couldn't they grab an artist from the greatest decade ever, the 70s? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, we were, we were watching the Super Bowl with our family, and I was like, I was that second crowd, okay? And I'm looking around, and my kids are going nuts. Not the grandkids. They like the old stuff. But, uh, but my kids are singing all the songs and all this kind of stuff, you know? So here's a big question. Which opinion is the truth? Hmm. I would say probably 
neither, right? Because objective truth or the facts are there was a Super Bowl and there was a Super Bowl halftime show. That's the truth. Subjective feelings are this is how I felt about the music. This is how I felt about the show. And they're two separate things. Now, that's not a problem until we elevate subjective feelings above objective truth. I want you to walk with me. We're going to kind of dig a little deeper today, but I want you to walk with me. The problem comes when we elevate subjective feelings above objective truth. This is how I felt about the halftime show. This is what I feel about whatever it happens to be. So it must be what? True. True. We elevate subjective feelings above objective truth. And then we say things like this. You have your truth and I have my truth. Have you heard that? That's a big, that's a big phrase these days. You, you know, you see it on Facebook. Hey, girl, give me your truth. You go. <laughs> or guy. You have your truth. I have my truth. That sounds great, right? But it, actually, it's not. I mean, it's a phrase that came out of something good when Oprah, and my goodness, we all believe in Oprah, right? challenged at a, at a speech at the Golden Globe Awards for women to come forward and speak their truth to power. And speaking truth to power is a good thing. But my truth and your truth kind of takes it to a whole different level. You're, you're free to have your own opinions, your own feelings, your own viewpoints. In fact, that's why I sometimes say, if you've been around here very long, I say, you don't have to agree with me. You have a right to be wrong, right? Okay. Right? You have your feelings. That's okay. But you are not free to have your own truth. There is a truth. There are things that are true that we either have feelings about or don't have feelings about. Okay? All right? See, the, the problem is that the way you feel about something doesn't necessarily make it a fact. It doesn't make it true. Facts are facts, and true is true. In fact, the, the phrase, my truth, your truth, has quickly become a term used to push subjective feelings over objective facts to such a degree in our culture here. And I know I'm speaking to cultures all over the world. I'll speak specifically to a, a Western culture now, which tends to permeate throughout the world. But our culture, it's called a post-truth age. We are in, you've heard of the Iron Age, the Bronze Age. They say that we are in a post-truth age. In fact, the, the 2016 word of the year uh, in one of the dictionaries that does words of the year was actually the phrase post-truth. Time Magazine 2016 ran a cover that asked the question, is truth dead? Is truth dead? The problem is this, when truth dies and becomes relative, you lose your foundation. There's no bedrock. There's no, what, what are we going to base 
things on. In fact, even this country that we live in, even the foundation of our nation was built on a shared definition of truth. It was the Declaration of Independence. We hold these what? We hold these what? These truths to be self-evident. Why are they self-evident? That all men are created evil. They were endowed by their creator. That's why they're self-evident. There was a creator. There is a foundation, a bedrock of truth. There is a source of truth. And that source of truth created what we see, not just nature, but the laws of nature. And they are based on truth. They're based on truth. Today, we live in a post-truth world. You have your truth. I have my truth. And in a post-truth world, opinions are formed based on an emotional appeal as opposed to objective facts. And it impacts everything. In fact, it impacts our relationship with God. As a pastor, I know I, I talk to pastors all the time, and churches everywhere are dealing with the fallout of millions of people claiming that they don't have to submit to God in various ways because his word doesn't agree with their truth. Okay? His word is a truth. I have my truth. You have your truth. And when his word doesn't agree with my truth, I don't have to submit to it. Okay? So it's an issue. It's an issue. You say, well, so what? I mean, it's just the age that we live in. But in a post-truth world, who do you trust? Huh? We don't trust the news. My goodness. We do a whole week on that. Hang on. Hang on. I watch, I watch, I watch both ends. I watch the, the left and the right, and I try to find the middle, and I don't know where it is. But I was, I was talking to a national news guy. And I was asking him some of these questions. I said, I said, um, what, what's, what's the most accurate? What is the truth? What, what news? If I'm going to listen to news, what's the most accurate news that I can listen to? And he said, put it this way. Rule of thumb. If it's boring, it's probably true. <laughs> but CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, and I know we have people that work for all of those deals. They're in business to make money. Not to convey truth. And you need to understand that. And what makes money? Controversy. Yelling at one another. Clicks. Okay. That's not truth. Opinion. Opinion's okay. Until you elevate it to a stature of truth. Because truth is objective. Opinions are subjective. Wow. We don't trust the internet. Some of you trust it a little bit too much. We don't trust the government. Um, that's all I'm going to say, because I know we've got a senator sitting here, and I love him. We don't trust each other. We don't trust the church. And the more and more we read about leaders who are falling, we go, really? We trust these guys? And then ultimately, we don't trust God, and if you don't trust God, who are you going to trust? And here's the problem. This lack of trust leaves you anxious, lonely, and suspicious of everybody. And that pretty well defines our culture right now. Is there hope? <laughs> Thanks, Greg. This has been such an encouraging message. 
Put your offerings in the boxes as you go. God bless you. Let's have a benediction. Is there hope? Well, we can't fix governments. We can't fix news organizations. We can't fix institutions. But we can allow God to fix us. And we can live... <laughs> we can live in a community that reflects who God is. And so we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. And it, here's what the deal is with the Sermon on the Mount. They, uh, they planned this one out to be eight weeks, eight Beatitudes, eight weeks. And then we went, oh, gee, there's more to the Sermon on the Mount. We knew that, but we thought, well, maybe we ought to keep going. So we may teach the Sermon on the Mount all year. Who knows? We're, we're, we're teaching it, okay? And this week... I believe that Jesus has something to say that will ultimately impact the, us and the world around us. And he talks this week about truth. He's speaking to his followers and he's holding them to higher values. Last week it was a higher value of marriage and the week before it was a higher value on anger. And this week it's a higher value on truth. Let's study it and see if it doesn't talk to the culture that we live in. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. He said, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. Every one of these teachings, when he makes a point, he, he says, you have heard it said, and this you have heard it said was uh, uh, Numbers 30 and verse 2. And it's a valid scripture. And they all knew it. That don't make a vow to God and not keep it. Okay? Don't make a vow in God's name and not keep it. And Jesus said, you've heard it said. And then he says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. He's taken to a higher value. Either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Now, we can change that these days. There's product. They didn't have that then. He said, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. What's he saying? What's he saying? Who's he saying it to? Um, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying don't ever swear an oath. You can't do that. I know some churches teach, and it's okay. I mean, it's taken to the nth degree, but I'm not sure this is what it's saying. Some churches teach that you can't ever be on a jury because you have to put your hand on a Bible and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's swearing an oath. It's not what he's talking about. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I'll show you that in a minute. He's not saying that you shouldn't make promises. I remember as a kid, when you said something, you want people to really believe it. What would you say? Cross my heart, hope to die, right? Or I swear to God, right? Right? And when you were doing that, you were trying to make, you know, something that you might be saying that's somewhat questionable to believe so that somebody would believe it more. Now, when you'd make a covenant or a commitment like that, remember what you did as a kid to get out of keeping your promises. What'd you do? Do this right here. You make this incredible promise. Oh, wow. Ah. That's what Jesus was talking about. That's what the Pharisees were doing. 
They were swearing on all kinds of things. Swear on heaven, swear on earth, swear on the temple, you know, swear on your head, on your hair. I swear, I swear. And what they were doing is they would, they would make these elaborate promises, but it, and if they didn't have the exact code word in there, they'd get out of it, get out of it. So Jesus is talking about crossing your fingers when you, when you commit to something. And he's saying, just let your yes be yes. Just tell the truth because anything less than that decays and devalues the truth. And truth is such a high value. It has to be the foundation of everything that you do. So I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about telling the truth in a post-truth world. I can go off on lots of rabbit trails and hobby horses and stuff you're hearing all the time. I'll allow you guys to apply that. I want to give you general principles on telling the truth. Here's, there's three of them that I want to deal with today. And here's the first one. Seek the truth. Okay? Seek the truth. There is foundational truth that can be found. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. He's saying several things here. He's saying God is ultimate truth. God can be found when you seek him with all of your heart. All of your heart. I was thinking about that this week. I, I, I remember a time of foundational seeking for me. I was raised in a great home, Christian home. My dad goes to this church, uh, and uh, he was a pastor then. and um, It was a great home, but here's the issue is, God didn't have any grandkids. I have 14 grandkids. God didn't have any. He only has kids, right? And so at some point, your kids are going to have to come into their own relationship with God. And for me, that was a seeking process. And the culture that I grew up in was similar in a lot of ways, honestly, to the times that we live now, more so than like if you grew up in the 80s or 90s. I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and it was a similar time. Let me show you how. There was political and cultural upheaval in those days, as had not been seen in our country probably since the, the, the Civil War. We had just withdrawn from an unpopular war in Vietnam. There was fear of nuclear war everywhere. Let me talk to the, to the advanced folks like me. How many, of you, how many of you remember doing nuclear war drills in school? Okay. What did we do? Uh, some of you younger folks, get this. Watch this. It was brilliant. Here's what we did. We would take a pause. It usually would be about 60 seconds, maybe two minutes. And I think it was weekly. I don't know. I don't remember, but you would do a nuclear war drill because the Soviet Union was threatening nuclear war at that point, okay? So what would you do? You would get under your desk, <laughs> cover your head like this, as if that would protect you from a nuclear warhead, okay? Yeah, that's what we did. There's threats of nuclear war right now that we need to take seriously. Similar times. The headlines of Time Magazine, 1966, said, Is God Dead? Now, here's what's interesting. I think they're putting it on the screen. I, we just gave you one a few minutes ago that was a, a repeat of this one 
in 2016 that said, is truth dead? This is the first time Time Magazine ran a, ran a, a headline that uh, didn't have a picture in it. And it was asking the question, because a lot of people were asking, is God dead? Is God even relevant in our culture anymore? Timothy Leary invited us to turn on, tune in, and drop out. John Lennon declared that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus, and then led a whole generation on a search for ultimate truth through Eastern religion. And most of my friends did the same thing. Now, what was interesting is for many of us, that search led us back to Jesus, the author and founder of truth. In fact, five years later, after Time Magazine had declared that God may very well be dead or at least irrelevant, Time Magazine declared a Jesus revolution. Something was going on. All these young people with long hair scaring their mothers, smoking stuff, playing music that made no sense and searching, following John Lennon through Eastern religion, were coming to Jesus and coming to Christ. It happened not just by the tens or twenties, by the hundreds, by the thousands. In fact, the LA Times ran pictures of Chuck Smith baptizing hippies. Say hippies together. Hippies. Yeah. Life magazine covered the great Jesus rally in 1972. Here's what's interesting about that. It was called Expo 72. It was in Dallas, Texas. We were there. My dad was there. And it was hundreds of thousands of young people who were worshiping Jesus and playing music that you didn't play in the church. In fact, it was a big controversy of the day. How much of this do we accept? How much do we not? In fact, I had a band during that time and we played uh, uh, Jesus music in the early days of uh, contemporary Christian music. And it wasn't called contemporary Christian. It was called Jesus music. And uh, I can remember uh, going to play at churches, a couple of churches. My wife's church had this big Jesus night where they had this speaker come in and they had probably a thousand kids come and they, they uh, asked us to come play. And we played some of our music and we got half of one set done and a deacon came and ushered us off the platform <laughs> and out the door. We don't play that kind of music in the church. I remember we were supposed to do a whole youth rally for the denomination that we were a part of. We pulled up with our long hair in a van to the church, and the pastor was standing at the front door and said, don't unload that stuff. You're not coming in here. We don't play that kind of music in here. That was typical. And at Explo 72, Billy Graham put his stamp on Jesus' music, and it changed the music that churches sing. We sing music that is reflective of that period of time. See, it led to the greatest revival of our generation. And here's what I think. Those of us living in a post-truth generation are wondering who's going to win this thing. I believe that we are on the verge of the greatest revival that our generation has ever seen. I believe that. I've seen it. See, God is not afraid of questions. We don't have to defend God. God's not afraid of a question that says, is there a God? Is Jesus God? In fact, for me, in my search for ultimate truth for me, it came down to two things, the creation and the resurrection. 
was searching, is there really a God? And I found, and, 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 and listen, I sought with all of my heart, okay? Wasn't just kind of a, well, I don't believe, so. No, I sought with all of my heart. I'm either gonna believe or I'm not gonna believe. And it took more faith for me to believe that there wasn't a creator than that there was. And I wish I had time to go through all of that. But that's why when I go outdoors in creation, I worship. Because creation declares, in fact, there's a, Bible, there's a scripture that says, for since the create Romans 1:12, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. You call it a big bang, I'm good with that. Call it a creation story, I'm good with that. Something or someone eternally existent created what is finite and ending. There is something or someone outside of time and space. And I believe that is the God of the universe who reveals himself through the Bible and he is ultimate truth. And then I had to deal with, is Jesus really God? And I studied that very, very hard. And you know what? There were too many witnesses of Jesus' resurrection for it not to be true. And so I've established in my heart that God is who he said he is. And it makes life a whole lot less complicated. Can I tell you that? Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let me talk to you just for a second, church, and I don't have time. This is so much fun. I've got so much to say. And I've got like, just give me a little bit of time. I built this thing. I mean, I'm here at the beginning. What's going on? Churches make it so complicated. You've got to say the exact right prayer with the exact right words or it doesn't really count. And I heard that, uh, well, whatever, whatever. <laughs> it's not that complicated. Hebrews says you've got to believe that God is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And some of you, some of you are seekers here today and you are in the right place. This church was built with you in mind. We are the body of Christ. We come together. We worship God. But we realize there are always people among us who aren't as far in as we are. And it's okay. It's okay. All I want to say to you is make sure you're seeking with all of your heart because if you are, God will be found. And for some of you, you, God, you will find God today. And that's what's exciting about coming together as a, as a, as a church. Go ahead and applaud because I've got to get my breath. I'm getting old. All right, so seek truth. Here's the, the second one is speak truth. Speak truth. If you're going to, if you're going to, uh, if you're going to uh, be truthful in a post-truth generation, you've got to speak the truth. Jesus said, be so truthful that you don't need a qualifier. It's a sea coaster. It's just, it's not rapid science. Just tell the truth. Just let your yes be yes. And you know what? It's okay to say no. Now, when are we tempted not to tell the truth? Let me just do a survey here. How many of you have not told the truth? Didn't hear the question. Let's do it again. <laughs> Let's put this week in it. How many of you this week have not told the truth? All right, here's why we do it. Some of us don't tell the truth because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Anybody been there? Your aunt gives you a hideous sweater for your birthday that she knitted herself. 
And you tell her a couple options. I wouldn't be seen dead in that thing. It's one option. Second option is, oh, Aunt Martha, it's so beautiful. I can't wait to wear it somewhere. It's going to have to be a special occasion, but I can't wait to wear it, right? That's called diplomacy, all right? It's also a lie, but it's diplomacy. We lie to appear better than we are. It's called exaggeration. We all do it, right? I mean, we exaggerate. We exaggerate who we know and what we've done and what our kids have done or what our kids are capable of. How bad can that be? Psychologist Robert Feldman says, however you cut it, exaggeration is playing with the truth. It's birthed out of insecurity, it's deceptive, and it damages the core of all relationships. Why do we do it? Because we're insecure. We want to look better than we are. And the truth is, at your workplace, if you're a leader in the church, politics, the workplace, school, wherever it is, people aren't looking for Superman or Superwoman. They're looking for, in fact, if you present yourself as being more than you are, they're going to be laughing behind your back. Because that's not who we like. We like people who are real and authentic and just a little bit flawed like we are. You don't have to be something that you, that you aren't. No wonder Jesus said, let your yes be yes. We lie to escape consequences of our actions. We've done something and we just don't want to get caught. Here's the problem. The consequences of getting caught lying are oftentimes worse than whatever it was that you were trying to cover up. Because people don't trust you. And when trust has been broken, it can take forever and sometimes never to be restored. And so, and so tell the truth. Tell the truth. Jesus said, make it easy on yourself. Tell the truth. Now, when we're telling the truth, don't forget to speak the truth to yourself also. This is a big one. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5 says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, there are a lot of thoughts, a lot of arguments, a lot of things that come into your head that set themselves up against the knowledge of God, which is the truth. There are tempting thoughts. Anybody ever had a tempting thought? Yeah, I wish I could. Things would be better. Maybe just this one time. Tempting thoughts. There are disabling thoughts. I could never do that. I can't. I won't. Nobody would. They will never. Well, here's what you do. Those thoughts didn't come from God. You need to ask yourself, when you have thoughts like that, who told you that? Because it wasn't God. So we need, to, we need to take them captive and replace them with the truth. Romans 12, verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So replace tempting thoughts with the truth. I used to carry a three by five card around with me in my pocket all the time. All the time. That reminded me of the consequences of me doing something stupid. See, I have a philosophy in life. You've been around here very long. You can be successful in life. You do four things. Put God first in everything that you do. Treat people right. Work hard and don't do anything stupid. Okay? Those four things. And I am capable, and so are you, of doing stupid, stupid things. Submitting to temptation that derails your relationship, 
derails all kinds of things. I'm capable of that. So in sane moments, I wrote down, what are the consequences of saying yes, being stupid in the moment? What are the consequences to my marriage, to my family, to my church, my job, all of those things? So that, and refer to it regularly, even when you're not tempted, so that you can memorize it. It's called deciding ahead of time what I'm going to do, okay? Tempting thoughts, replace it with the truth. Replace disabling thoughts with the truth. Here's the truth. I am chosen. I am forgiven. I have freedom. I have confidence. I am accepted. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the truth, okay? So we need to tell ourselves the truth. Let me give you one last thing and I'm done. You got to seek the truth, speak the truth. Guess what? This one's going to rhyme. You got to leak the truth. You got to leak the truth. I have a candle. It smells awesome. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to put it right by the microphone so you can smell it. So, uh, so I was laying on the couch, just meditating before the Lord. That was a lie. Just <laughs> taking a nap. Debbie walked in, and suddenly I smelled just an incredible smell. And I said to her, Deb, you smell great. I'm old, but I ain't dead yet. I'm making points, you know. She's like, I'm not wearing anything new. And what it was is at Christmas time, we had gotten a candle, big candle that was on our um, coffee table, hadn't even been burned yet, but it leaked some aroma. The air conditioner caught it just right. Leaked some, and it was a, oh man, you, you guys ought to smell this stuff. It was incredible. It just leaked an aroma. I was thinking about that this week. The scripture says in uh, 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 15, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. You know, when we're around people, they should go, you smell something? I think I smell Jesus. I think I smell the truth because we're leaking the truth. All that we're just leaking. It's just who we are. We're just leaking the truth. And the truth smells good. It's like a pleasing aroma in the for our Father, God. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples. If you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth sets you free from the fear of death. The truth keeps you from having to exaggerate your worth because you know who you are in Christ. The truth helps you navigate tricky relational waters. The truth keeps you from the stress of keeping up an image or dodging consequences of a lie. As I close today, how, how different would our world be today if everybody spoke only the truth? First of all, if everybody would recognize there is truth, not just my truth, your truth. There's ultimate truth. And what if we all spoke the truth? How different would your home be? How different would your workplace be? How different would our politics 
be? How different would the world be? What if we all decided in here, we can't impact what everybody else does, but what if it's Seacoast? We said, you know what? I'm going to pursue and seek the truth. I'm going to speak only the truth. And I'm going to allow the truth to leak through my life. Would you bow for closing prayer? Father, I thank you today for this wonderful group of people who are here setting aside an hour on Sunday morning just to seek truth. And so, Lord, I pray that your kingdom would come among us. The next few minutes as we provide time and space for you, God, I pray that your kingdom would dwell among us, that, that there would be the aroma of Jesus in this place. Lord, that you would fill us with your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the service isn't over. The best is yet to come. Next few minutes, we're just going to provide some space. I mean, we, we're running, 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 running. We're on our phones. We're doing all that. Now, this is space. This is margin right now. Just seek God, to allow God to speak to us. And then to respond in whatever way that he desires for us to respond. Earlier in the message, I spoke to some of you who I said, you, you are seeking, you're seekers. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. And for some of you today, this is the day that you quit being a seeker and you'd start becoming a believer, reflecting truth. And uh, I would just ask, what is it going to take for you to step across the line from being a seeker to being all in with God? The Bible says you just got to believe that he is. There's plenty of evidence for that. And that he rewards, and you're going to see the evidence of that as you follow him, those who diligently seek him. So here's what I want you to do. At some point in the next 10 minutes, I want you to just pray a prayer and make it simple. God, I want to be a part of your family. God, I believe that you are God. And I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. Don't understand all the stuff. But I want to walk with you. Maybe you go to a cross then. Take a little piece of paper. There's like six crosses in this room. There are crosses in every room that you're in right now. And just... Uh, Write, I believe on that and pin it to the cross. Whisper a prayer, those moments. Some of us, uh, we've been believing lies. We've been believing lies about ourselves. We've been believing tempting lies. Some of us have gone across the line to telling lies. We exaggerate. It just seems to be kind of a habit and comes from insecurity and some of us have just told a lie to cover ourselves and we go to sleep at night and we worry about the consequences of being discovered or found out. How about we just give it to God right now? Maybe you go to a cross and say, God, I don't want to believe lies anymore. And maybe you kind of lie that you're believing about yourself right now or your kids or maybe your relationship or maybe it's just this whole exaggeration thing. You just pin it to the cross. I don't want to do that, God. Maybe there's something that you're nervous about and you discover. Just give it to God first and then let him give you wisdom on how to, how to deal with it.
okay? Um, we're, we're all going to receive communion together. And I want to challenge you not just to let that go. We are the body of Christ. We are the aroma of Jesus. Let's celebrate that with communion. I hate the little communion cups with a passion. I loved when we used to dip it in this stuff. But okay, I back off. We're still, we're still, you know, doing it uh, a sanitized way. But get over yourself and worship Jesus in it. I've learned how to do that. Okay. Let's just take a cup of communion. Maybe get some friends together in a circle, do it together, family, whatever. Let's receive communion together. We're also, uh, uh, we'll have people in the front who will pray for you. You know what the incredible thing is? When God is in the house, anything can happen. And some of us need a miracle in our business, in our body, in our relationships. Why don't you come pray with somebody? They're praying for you. They want to lend you their faith, okay? Others of us, we're going to light a candle and pray for a friend. Somebody we're real concerned about right now. We're going to give our offerings online and in the boxes. But we're going, to, we're going to take some time. We're going to say, God, what are you saying to me? And how do I respond to you? Let's respond together.